Welcome to Mind Rolling. This is our new podcast. I'm Raghu Marcus. I'm David Silver. And today we have a wonderful old family friend, uh, someone from my India days, and someone David has been very close to for quite a number of years, Shamdas. And David, uh, we're going to let you give the uh, introductions. Well, Shamdas is is a, a great kirtan singer, one of the greatest Western ones. No question about that. I go to the his kirtans as often as I can, which is not enough, but it's great. He's also a scholar, uh, particularly in uh, the area of Braj and Braj and um, Krishna consciousness. But it goes further than that. Welcome, Shamdas. We're really happy that you're Thank you, Radhiyam. Radhi Radhi, as they say in Vrindavan. Yeah. And we're, the first thing that we wanted to get into a little bit is before you were even, you know, thinking of going to India or before you were meditating or in any way in, the, in a dharmic sort of mode or mood of your life, even before that, when you were a late teenager or whatever, what were the things that woke you up Right at the beginning. Uh, they didn't just happen from nowhere, or maybe they did. But give us a little insight to the pre-India time in your life and some of the either epiphanies or dreams or visions that prompted you to enter the kind of life that you've, you've led since then. When I was a very young child, I always felt that I had this playmate who was unseen but was dark and blissful, and uh, I would carry on conversations with this unseen divinity for uh, much of my childhood, and I didn't really talk about it to anyone. Um, and many years later, when the book uh, Be Here Now came out, and uh, I was drawn into that uh, mandala, into that magical circle of Nim Crowley Baba's grace, um, I started to have dreams of the great master himself, Nim Crowley Baba, and he told me in a dream that uh, I should come to India, and sort of the visions of my childhood and the direction that I needed to go seemed to effortlessly unfold, and uh, I left home at uh, 18, and by the time I was 19, I was, on, uh, I was in Istanbul making my way to India, with a group of other Western Nim Crowley Baba followers, and we traveled through uh, Turkey and Afghanistan, Pakistan, and ultimately arrived in India. And it was there that I had the first darshan of Nim Crowley Baba in Vrindavan, and I think it was December of 1972. Hmm. Well, that was quite a passage. Right, you we went overland to to India. She's at nineteen years old. That took a little bit of courage. What there was something really driving you, and you say that it really was Shamdas the the recognition that you had of this imaginary playmate Ramdas talks about. That's how he relates with Maharaji now. He tells people, yeah, it's just my imaginary playmate that's become something more than imaginary. But that is what drove you. Well, you know. I think that we have to define what's the difference between a fantasy and something that is based in soul, or what is called atma. Because a fantasy doesn't really create, in most cases, 
um, a state of transformation because we can imagine that we are something, but uh, if it doesn't have a uh, foundation in ultimate truth, if we can use that that word, it just remains, you know, on that very superficial level. So it was an imaginary uh, friend, but imaginary in the sense that there was a bob, there was a true reality, apparently. We have to uh, tell folks what bob is. Bob, okay. So bob is a word that, like the word guru and kirtan and dharma and words like pundit uh, and kummerbund, actually, which is uh, another name for a bell, which you'll find in the English dictionary. I think that at some point we will find the word bhav in the English dictionary, and that is the state of devotional awareness. Bhav is a blissful cognition of God's presence. Bhav is being in the devotional state of being. It's very difficult to translate directly into English, but bhav is basically what everyone is looking for uh, in every spiritual practice, uh, because Bhav has not only the state of enlightenment, uh, Bhav encompasses love, devotion, and um, a feeling of God's presence everywhere. Mm. Bhav is to be in the spirit, basically. Mm. So there was some Bhav attached to all of this. And so I guess whenever and wherever there is Bhav, things will happen easily. And so, you know, at 19, taking a trip, you know, overland, I was, I think, one of the youngest Westerners to make it there at the time. Um, it just seemed like the Dharma, of, the Dharma of my soul, something that I had to do. And um, I didn't really find any obstruction anywhere. It just seemed like the most natural thing to do. And the gates opened everywhere I went, all the way to India. And I remember entering into India. It was, it was like I had found the eternal abode within a material realm. Um, the colorful turbans that the porters were wearing at the border of Pakistan and India, um, it was just a red carpet service all the way through. Talk a little bit about, I mean, I remember in my experience, after I was there for about six months when I first went, I was, I really had a deep feeling of contentment being there and the thought of uh, Canada, where I'm from, America, same, uh, was like foreign to me. I mean, so how quickly did you fall into the familiarity of, of India? I would say pretty much from the first moment. Really? I remember my early days in, in the Brindavan area. I first stayed at the Jaipuria house with the other Nim, yeah. Nim Crowley Westerners, and then somehow I was moved on to an ashram called Sham Kuti that was by the banks of the Yamna River on the Parikrama path that encircles the sacred town of Brindavan, maybe a mile down the path from the ashram where we all went to meet. Um, Bala, and I in the morning I would often hang up uh, on the banks of the Yamna River, and I remember how it was so natural to be lying in the sands in the state of devotion and contemplation and oneness with all things that that I was experiencing 
without any effort at all was something that I could never do in the West when I was, you know, practicing Ashtanga or meditation or pranayama. So um, I forgot, you know, about Western life, not totally, but it certainly wasn't really something that I was anxious to return to. And that's why, you know, I basically lived in India, uh, except for a two-month return to the States when my visa expired in 73. I stayed in India for maybe uh, eight, seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't really have any interest in returning. And actually, I got to the point because I was living in a small village of Jatipura and uh, outside of the Brindavan city limits, and um, I was the only Westerner living in that region at that point. And Westerners looked to me like foreigners. You know, I would occasionally see a Western person, and they seemed like they were from another planet. <laughs> uh, and I forgot how to speak American English. And I remember. My mother, who was the secretary of the state of Connecticut at that point, um, was featured in People's Magazine, and there was an article about her, and it had her, you know, playing golf and holding a tennis racket, and she was wearing, you know, kind of a tennis skirt, and I couldn't believe that. My mother was wearing, you know, such a short skirt, it seemed to be the most bizarre thing I had ever seen, so I think maybe I went a little bit overboard, but uh, that was due to the fact that I was so absorbed into the devotional culture right. of India, and I mean, in the end, we're all looking for niroda, which is absorption into God, and uh, I think that, you know, location, location, location has a lot to do with it. If you can stay <laughs> yeah, in right. a holy place and yeah. be surrounded by people who have similar goals and are exalted in their own states of consciousness, it really helps. Hey, take us on a, 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 you wake up in the morning, in you're first in Brindavan, say, and you wake up in the morning, you know, after the sun rises or as the sun rises and, and walking through those streets, you know, going down to the, the Parikrama, which is the circular path that goes around the holy part of the city. Just take, just give us a visual tour. Well, I lived on. Um, I lived in that ashram which I mentioned called Sham Kuti, the uh, cottage of Krishna, basically. And I would go out every morning just before sunrise, and I would walk around the city uh, on the Prakrama path. And that was about a seven-mile walk that took uh, about two and a half hours. And I would be joined by maybe fifty pilgrims, and they would be chanting. Radhe Sham, Radhe Sham, Sham Sham, Radhe Radhe. And then the people who were walking just in back of them, they would respond by saying, Radhe Krishna, Radhe Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Radhe Radhe. And, uh, you know, Brindavan has changed quite a bit uh, since those days. Then it was really like a village. It was a town, and there wasn't very much electricity, and... There were, you know, there were groves everywhere and ashrams uh, nestled um, uh, in the forest to the, you know, to the right and to the left of the Prikama path. And uh, there would be, you know, obviously the monkeys were there then as well. Um, 
And the Yamnaji River meandering to the left and all the amazing temples that you would pass through when you headed down towards Yamna River. Um, I mean, I could write a novel about it. There were so many things going on at that point. The peacock singing. Basically, the thing which, which sticks, sticks in my mind the most is the chanting of the pilgrims as we walked around this amazing path, and, and the two and a half hours passed basically in a flash because we were absorbed in the joys of chanting the sacred names. Let's talk a little bit about Krishna, as if, you know, we just didn't know anything about him, because Brindavan obviously was the place of the birth of Krishna. But if you would, um, give us a little, just a little talk about who this deity is and was. Krishna. So, um, if you look at the word Krishna, so Krish means all attractive, to attract literally, and Na means in Sanskrit means bliss. So Krishna is the all attractive one. Krishna is spoken about in the Sanskrit literature as more beautiful than a trillion cupids. Krishna is not only the embodiment of perfect beauty, but is the Lord of the Lord of all yogis. Krishna represents in the bliss body the abode of liberation, and in the devotional sense, Krishna represents the perfect, uh, the perfect consort, or the perfect master, or the perfect swami, or the perfect son, or the perfect Lord, Krishna responds specifically to the way that the individuals worship him. That is why Krishna is comprised of sheer bhav, of sheer devotion, and is, is most expert at responding to the intentions of the spiritual aspirant. So those who view Krishna as the absolute reality, the void of name or form, uh, what is called the Nirguna Brahman, the abode of absolute liberation, Krishna becomes that reality, that state of enlightenment for those people. And for those people who love Krishna as the embodiment of beauty, as being the Lord of liberation, but also the perfect responder to uh, devotional attitudes, Krishna appears exactly and probably uh, in a more exact, uh, um, in a more exalted fashion than we can even imagine, Krishna is the foundation of Vrindavan, and Krishna, you know, according to the Vaishnava traditions, Krishna is not considered to be an avatar; doesn't appear from time to time. Krishna is the source of all incarnations, and therefore Krishna is considered to be Adi Purusham, is the primal being sometimes called also Narayan. Um, that's just the beginning of the story. Mm. Um, Krishna is the, the subject of most of our devotional poetry, and Krishna is certainly the object of the yogi's contemplation and the devotee's devotion. Mm. Thank you. for th Thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you, Shamdas. Uh, just a little interrupt here. Um, Shamdas is um, 
multiple CDs and books. Uh, you can find out about all of them on shamdas.com, a lovely website, I might say, very clear, and you'll, you'll just expand your knowledge of Shamdas and of many other things if you go to that website. While we're at it, we should mention that our dear sponsors, audible.com, uh, they are our sponsors, and they offer a free month of trial uh, membership in audible.com if you just go to their site, audible.com, and you get a free book in that. And you can choose from a pretty vast, over 100,000 titles within that. Actually, you have to, actually, you have to go to mindrollingpodcast.com right. because that's where you'll find the link to the Audible trial. Actually, so right. we so. we have to keep mentioning that. I forget yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you have something to recommend on on that? Or? Uh, Not well, today. There are, you know, there are many spiritual books on there. By particularly Buddhist masters, Pema Chodron has uh, nineteen titles. Ramdas has about seventeen or eighteen. But you can check for yourself. Shamdas, you you have to uh, get somebody to read one of. Uh, Shamdas has uh, s- several. Uh, if you, as as David said, if you want to find out a lot more about this particular uh, culture, if you can call it that, of of Krishna, uh, you and uh, you, you you certainly uh, should go to the site, you know, to uh, Shamdas's site and uh, and pick one up. But Shamdas, you should absolutely. Get one going there with Audible and get somebody to read it. It would be a, a wonderful uh, contribution. Now, uh, one of the things in, in terms of uh, uh, when I went to India recently, I, uh, not more than I think it was three years ago, that I met up with, uh, with Sham in, uh, in Brindavan, and he was just describing what it is there. Now, it has lost a little of that luster from when we were first there. That's, that's true. But there's, that spirit still lives in there as you walk through those streets, and that chanting that, that goes on comes from such a deep place that you cannot be anything but affected by, by that, uh, that spiritual feeling called Bob. Um, and uh, uh, Shamdas took uh, a little group of us, my wife and a couple other people, on a tour that day um, through a village where he uh, has lived uh, for many years. And um, there is, and, and you know, we're not saying enough about uh, Shamdas's integration into this culture. He speaks perfect Hindi and can go to places that no Westerners really can go to and led us to some of these spots that no Westerners even know of. Um, and uh, this is, this, I could tell just being with you, Sham, it was a joy uh, and that you've done many times before. I mean, some of the spots that you, it was like you just going there the first time yourself. Um, and that's a joy that you have shared with other people, uh, including uh, some celebrities from the West that have been interested, like Sting and so on. Tell us a little about how you've done this over the years and some of the people that you've uh, introduced to this culture. Well, you know, things that we love, we tend to want to share with other people who have an appreciation for such things. And the realm of Brindavan, and I wanted to add on our morning walk around the sacred city, that just every grain of sand in the Brindavan region uh, emanates with the bliss of God. And so 
town of Gokul or by the Govardhan Hill or Barsana, which is the town that's uh, Radha's town, or Kamvan, the forest of desire. Uh, wherever you wander in that Brudge area, which is, 80, which is 168 miles in circumference, we feel, or I feel, if the day is good, some sort of incredible magic that is arising from the lands because of not only did Krishna herd his cows and play with the gopis in that, um, in that amazing region, but that an incredible amount of saints and realized beings have also taken the shelter of that land. And we know that Nim Kroli Bama rushed back to Brindavan because he wanted to leave his mortal body there and that his samadhi is also there as well. And there was good reason for that. So I'm always inspired to have uh, guests who are interested uh, in experiencing the joys of the sacred soils. And uh, over the years, all sorts of people have visited me. Uh, of Sting has visited me um, in the Brudge area, and David and Sharon, and you have come. Uh, Christy Turlington came and visited me there. All sorts of individuals. Bob Thurman came, yeah, like Diamond really? from Beastie Boys. Mm. Um, but uh, really, um, the real fame is in the land itself, because every other fame has in it uh, a certain time limit. And then afterwards, the fame of an individual will eventually uh, diminish or increase. But the uh, fame uh, of the Brudge area, of the Brindavan area, is always resplendent. And um, personally, there is no greater joy for me than to share that 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 excellence and illumination with other people who are ripe for the voyage. Um, and I do remember the day that uh, you and I uh, and uh, and a few other people we walked uh, from the town of Gokul mm -hmm. and we went to Brahman Ghat and from Brahman Ghat we went to Yogi Pur. And from there we walked to the banks of the Yamuna River in this very isolated ashram, the huge banyan tree and this idyllic temple in the middle. Oh, it was so, so we beautiful. climbed down the banks to the Yamuna River, which is the river of grace and love, and we meandered on her uh, rich sands for a mile or two. And there was nothing to be said. There was nothing to be explained because the presence of that of that arena speaks for itself, and uh, I consider it really to be an act of grace in the end. And that's what the Brindavan experience is about. It's not attained through a sadhana, through a particular method. It is attained by those who are interested in tasting the bliss of God. Mm. And then Bhagavan, Ishwara, Govinda, who is called by so many names, Ram as well, responds to the inner desires of the ignited soul. And so I wish that I have that company forever. Mm. That's, uh, so one thing you have been in, in recent years, you know, as the chant scene has grown in the, in the U.S. particularly, um, to, uh, I mean, it's an amazing thing how much uh, chant is going on called Kirtan. 
in America, and that's proven to be a vehicle for uh, for many people. Um, I would have to say that uh, the people that come from Maharaji, from Neem Karoli Baba, from those days, uh, have been the leaders in this area, you know, and we're talking about, you know, from Jai Utah to Krishnadas to you, etc. Uh, and uh, I, what, what, I want to get some feedback from you about the people that have been showing up uh, and uh, to your uh, to the, your uh, kirtans and live events and and I, I know you've been participating in some of the major uh, festivals uh, of that. Uh, first of all, you know it's a two pronged question. I mean, I you know I have a little sometimes a little bit of a problem with what I uh, and it's judgmental and I know I'm going to. You know, I'm gonna go to go go to a, a bad place for some of the bad thoughts that I've had about some of our dear friends and family. So, um, but uh, I, I have to say, you know, it's a little too new agey. It's a little too saccharine. It's uh, it's more about tribal and and it's it's. Uh, jazz and rock and roll and it's not about what the practice is there are very few people few of uh, of us uh, shall we say that are doing the practice in my mind and again this is all judgmental because i will i will tell you one experience that i had back in the day in india with a good friend that um, uh, uh, that we was part of the our group and uh in that day, I don't know, Sham, if you remember the, you know, that Hare Krishna cult movie that was in, you know, that Bollywood movie. Yes, yes, exactly. And so uh, we were going by the theater, this, uh, this friend and I, and uh, some of these guys, came, you know, it had about hash smoking and hippies and, you know, the, the, in, in this movie. And so these young Indians came, uh, you know, just in front of the theater when they saw us, supposed uh, hash smoking hippies, which we were as well. Uh, but uh, they just raised their hands in that gesture of smoking a, uh, a pipe, a chillum. And I went and said, screw off, you rascals or whatever I said and my buddy in the because uh, they were jiving us going and my buddy in the in the uh, in the rickshaw said what are you crazy it's the name it doesn't matter where it's coming from so I always take that as a, as my personal uh, admonishment for judging uh, you know Kirtan Wallace and uh, singers so but what is what is your take on on the you know the the pull that you feel from, especially from younger people, about um, you know imbibing this this tradition and this practice, and how real is it, and so on. Yeah, well, let me start that. When I you know I lived in India for maybe ten or fifteen years, and I didn't really come back to the states until uh, sometime in the eighties, and I came back and I checked out the yoga scene, and I didn't see any chanting going on there. And I was a chanter, so I thought, you know, the best place to do a chant is obviously in a yoga studio, and I think I was one of the first people to do it. So I started to uh, lead Kirtan at Jeevan Mukti, and it was first, it was just David and Sharon and my son and Eddie, there were like five of us, and we did it on a Monday night, and we... 
you know, and, and after a year or so, it was it was 20 people, and then after two years, it was 30 or 40 people, and then Krishnadas came in one night and said, Sean, this is a great idea, and then he started to take that over, and Jai came, and Bhagavan Das came, and of course, people were chanting many years before that, Ram Das and KD were chanting on their tours years before that, but... Um, it seemed that the yoga scene was the place to bring the chant because, um, you know, the asana yoga, which comes from the Ashtanga system in India, I went to India thinking that I was going to find a bunch of, you know, Ashtanga uh, yogis, people doing asana. We should ex explain, actually, Sham, just, you know, for everybody, that when you refer to asana and Ashtanga, you're referring to uh, the practice of hatha yoga, Physical yoga within the Ashtanga system, which is the you know physical positions that are so important. But I only saw people doing chant, you know, largely. And so when I came back, you know, I figured that this is the you know this is the place to do it because they're already doing some yoga, and the real sort of the inner devotional practices would be found more in the chant. And so people at first, I think, were not used to hearing chant. But then slowly, as we did it more and more, and as more and more people joined in, it became, you know, an accepted practice. Now, getting to your question, where it's kind of new agey, and there's heavy beat, and drum sets, and it's sort of, you know, it's become new, it's become new agey, and people are, you know, maybe presenting the chant in ways that would raise the eyebrows of some chant masters in India, so it's possibly true, but, you know, I do have to agree a bit with the person who uh, told you that, look, however the person is taking the name, if, they're, if they are taking it in jest, or if they're taking it seriously, or if they're taking it with knowledge, or if they're taking it without any knowledge, whether they are doing it with completely pure intention, whether or not there are whether or not their motives are mixed because they want to receive some worldly benefit from it um, in every uh, in every case there is some sort of benefit now obviously we would like to see everyone chant with the highest intentions and, and with the best bob but I think it's a process so that as I tour around and I've been involved with the major ch chant festivals from the beginning, Omega, Ecstatic Chant, as well as Sridhar's yeah. um, Bhakti Fest, you know, and I've seen these chant, um, these chant events grow. Um, I have to say that I'm really happy to see people's interest. Now, obviously, not everyone's going to get the full juice of the chant from the first day, so that that people are in a progression here. Uh, and I do remember, Dham Dham, Hare Krishna, Hare Ram, Mittagai, you know, yeah. I heard that for years and years, and that was sort of negative towards the people who were chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. But in the end, if we look at the way that the Hare Krishna mantra is received today in India, I mean, that, you know, people respect Westerners chanting that mantra so much in India now. So we are, you know, we are part of, um, we are part of a movement. We are part of a transition um, of, of 
you know, of a yogic um, progression where we are, I think, as, as Westerners, and in many cases we are the first generation to bring this, this sort of yogic practice, the bhakti yoga, the, the path of love, over to the West. So it's only natural that we are going to have people who are doing it from a worldly viewpoint, people mm-hmm. who are doing it from a scriptural viewpoint, and those who are doing it from God's grace. And yeah. We have to accept all of them, but keep our sights, I think, on the highest bar. Well, listen, you have, uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling uh, way more balanced about this after your, your talk here, Shamdas, because, uh, you know, I... I have I've had a lot of guilt over over these thoughts that I've had, and <laughs> you have uh, straightened some of that out. So this this is a good thing because, yeah, it's been. T- I mean, uh, there isn't even a word for guilt in Sanskrit. There isn't in Yiddish. There is in Yiddish. There is. But oh boy. In Sanskrit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that, that's great. Uh, listen uh, f- again to those of you that are that are listening. Um, there really isn't anybody with this kind of knowledge that I know of from the West that Shamdas has about this tradition. I mean, it's extraordinary, really, and uh, that that uh, it's available here, and you can look out for whenever he's uh, going. You know, publicly going around. When are you going back to India? Well, I hope to go back in early November. You know, every year I tour. In the, in the West, uh, in these various yoga centers and events for five or six months, and then I kind of retire to the banks of the Yamuna River or to the mm. side of the Golden Hill or by Maharaji's ashram in Vrindavan, where I spend five or six months where I, you know, I study, I study classical music, I write books, and I've been hosting a lot of people. <laughs> people yes. come and visit me pretty much every day. We have sometimes five, sometimes 30 people for lunch. And mm. so... Uh, That's another thing, if you get to go to... If you if we, if we got to go... To, I mean, Shamdas is an extraordinary cook, too. So I, I don't think we'll give your address out because, you know, there might be a uh, too big a stream of people, you know, trying to, to get over there. But uh, listen, one interesting thing, I, I'll, uh, in closing this, uh, uh, which uh, we're going to do here... Um, when we, uh, one of the best statements, I mean, because uh, Shamdas and I were in India, we weren't there at the same time. I had left India before he came, but we had the exact same experience that experience, sharing that love that was shared. I mean, uh, it, it was best said, uh, Larry Brilliant, uh, who was uh, part of the group uh, when, when we were in India at the time, uh, he said it best. It, uh, you know, Neem Karoli Baba loved me, but that was his gig. That was his job. That was I didn't seem very, you know, miraculous the the way that the, that I felt and what I got. But when I felt that same thing f- around, and I, I I loved everybody that I'm, you know, the twenty or thirty Westerners that were sitting there at the time, the way that we were bonded, that was a miracle. That was something I had never. I mean, and and you know, I, I don't think Shamdas. I don't think I don't know. I don't think we've seen each other in in a few years. And uh, the the real miracle is that when any of us see each other, 
And it doesn't have to be that we, it was a physical meeting with this being, anybody. There are many, there are th- tens of, th- well, there's thousands of people who met him uh, through dreams and so on uh, that uh, have the same kind of relationship and, and recognize that, uh, that shared love. And that's really what it's all about. And, and I think at the core, that is, that is the, the essence of the teachings. Would you agree that you have been um, participating in for all of these years? Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, the, uh, the land of Vrindavan and Nim Kroli Baba are identical. What it is is that you can try to attain spirituality through a particular method or a practice, but very slow. I mean, why not go for grace? Why not go for Ba for the direct experience? And Maharaji... I think, did not look specifically at our eligibilities, whether or not we had done a lot of practice, whether or not we were pure beings. He gave many of us gifts of devotion and experience of God's presence that were beyond our reach mm. because, yeah, uh, because he was able to give something that was priceless. And... Um, Basically, we were and remain followers, and that's what I think the tradition is about, is about being a Das. You know, we all seem to have the same last name, whether it's Ram Das or Sham Das or Krishna Das or Bhagavan Das. Everyone's got the same last name because we are followers and we are part of this amazing whole. And to have the camaraderie, or what is called in Sanskrit, the satsang, the good association of other ignited beings who are in that same space represents, I think, the body of the, the guru. I was just at Tom Lesser's Bandara yeah. on Saturday, and it was interesting to see. There were maybe 150 of us there. It just seemed like it was the body of the guru had uh, mm-hmm. manifested, and the good spirit and the good will amongst all the people there, because... We are, uh, we are operating on a level of bhav. We're operating on a level where we view each, we view each other not as personalities with, with complications, but as uh, God's flowers that have manifested here on this earth to play in this incredible leela of life. And I am full of gratitude to Beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Uh, David? What, your last words? My last word is, is pretty simple, that, you know, everything that uh, Raghu and uh, Sham have talked about, about the, the Nimkaroli group and others in India is obviously true and, and, and quite radiantly beautiful. But I would say this, just as an addition, that when I go to Kirtan, in, I live in New York City, and uh, when, when Sham does Kirtan in New York City, uh, sometimes... Uh, because of the stresses of city life and being in the media as I am and so forth, I'm pretty cranky and don't want to go to any kirtan or anything. Uh, and uh, we're friends, so Sham will pick me up. And between my house and where we're with the studio where Sham is chanting, uh, by the time we get there, I'm, I'm laughing beyond anything. Uh, it's just so great to be around Sham Das. But I think I represent people who can come to the kirtan who've never been to India, never been to anywhere for that matter. The fact is that he makes it clear at the beginning, you make it clear at the beginning of your kirtans, that you just come and you sing. No other responsibilities, no knowledge needed, just the openness, open-heartedness to listen and chant. 
And I guarantee that at the end of it, because if it can work with me, it can work with anyone. I come out of it, I'm feeling lighter, less judgmental, there's less static running around my system, just feel better and happier, put it that way. And for that, um, I thank you, Sean Das. Thank you, Sean Das. And, and, and I'd like to pick you up on Saturday if you are in New York. I'm <laughs> doing your Kirtan at Dharma Mitras. Oh, uh, yes, we had such a good time there last time. I will be back on Saturday afternoon, so we'll go to All right, you guys can make your arrangements later. <laughs> hey, you can um, on our little podcast here. But uh, also, please uh, uh, go to mindrollingpodcast.com because we will also put up some of Sham's music. Sham Das is, uh, we'll put up a few songs so you can get the idea of, of just how uh, deep that. Uh, emotional expression of what he has garnished after uh, all these years in that area of India is instead of uh, the words because the the, uh, the music the chant uh, will take you right there so please mind rolling uh, and uh, we thank you for being with us thank you and Rade 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 Rade